Talk, Season 4 of the Telly Award-winning podcast. Coming at you like Thomas Neo Anderson, a.k.a. The Anomaly, a.k.a. The One. Great nickname. Wish I had it. Giving you the finger and demanding our phone call. Sucking down the red pill. And day in and day out, we are choosing to persist. I am Rylan Grant. Screenwriter, Ringo Award-winning creator of fine comics like Aberrant, Banjax, and now Shining Origins. The other voice in the dark, the man in the box to the right this time is... Uh, David Abalone, writer, and Philip K. Dickian simulacrum of uh, writer. Love that, simulacrum. That's a good I word. I decided, you know, in honor of the Matrix, yeah. I, had to, I, had to, I had to drag out the word simulacrum which i you think i'm gonna think right simulacrum yeah, I, I, I yeah, simulacrum sounds better I, I i vote for that in any case uh if yeah. you missed any of our previous conversations episodes featuring comic luminaries like david f walker matt fraction stan sakai kevin smith rodney barnes and many many more uh our entire catalog can be celebrated via youtube uh apple pods and other purveyors of worthwhile ear cracks so double on back and check it all out uh David, we have our boss on today. How do you feel about that? <laughs> yes, we have we 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 have the nice lady who runs the network yeah. uh that we are a part of, Pendant Audio, who uh nicely stepped up to uh be our host and our uh our our the umbrella on which we, under which we avoid the harsh rays of the sun. Yeah. Uh and all of that. And we always been great to work with and uh, and to and has taken a burden off two lazy luddites who probably <laughs> I mean really how hard is whatever intake form on Apple pot like it it might be a thing I could have figured out but why I why? think there is uh yeah there is um there is something like, to being part of a, a family and, yeah. and and being part of a company that has some cachet and all of those Absolutely. things and 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 having somebody who can guide us through this mess because we uh I mean we're about a hundred episodes in now so uh this so we have we, we have we have some seven, reps but but when we started this we literally had no idea what we were doing and we had uh, yeah. uh, all sorts of questions and 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 we're making all sorts of uh of of flops and fumbles and you know foibles and uh all all of those wonderful things but um but we digress and this is a show of digressions uh we we are we we have rebranded recently as the show of digressions but i I love it uh we should get to our guests very soon but what do you have to uh plug right now Uh, we are freshly back from comic-con we are freshly back from comic-con and yet we're recording before comic-con because that's you know the mysteries of uh you know we are we are simulacra yeah. of people who have just come back from comic-con uh i will be thinner my hair will be grayer yeah for sure uh but i'm sure we'll have just had the most delightful time down there yeah and um i don't know when elvira and Monsterland three comes out you'd think that would be a thing i should know but uh soon if not already you can find that that one's called howl uh, which is Elvira amongst the many Wolfmen. Nice. Um, and you know, spoiler: I include the Wolf of Wall Street because I'm funny like that. I think nice. It's very funny. Vlad the Impaler calls him Babyface Cocaine Monster. Nice. Uh, <laughs> which I think is uh, Vlad and I share our share, have the same uh, feelings about that particular item in in the Scorsese oeuvre. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's what's going on uh, comics wise. Everything else. 
is on hold. I will also, I'm sure, be exhausted from picketing uh, yeah. when this airs. Um, but, you know, the fight, yeah. maybe, maybe it'll be resolved. Maybe they the AMPTP will go, oh, hey, we now have literally no content. Yeah, we should. Uh, yeah, we, we, so. we should thank and congratulate uh, SAG-AFTRA for uh, for joining us. Uh, you know, welcome to the party. Um, the party's going to be much prettier. Uh, yes, everybody's uh, starting been saying tomorrow. that. Yeah, <laughs> everyone's uh, been saying. Someone yeah. posted a meme just now of uh, she's all that. Yeah, and, yeah, you know, yeah. The, 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 the beautiful, beautiful actress in the glasses with the overalls. Yeah. You know. Before yeah. SAG and then the end of the movie yeah. after SAG. I, I, I yeah, I, I am I am much more attracted to uh, uh, the girl in the glasses. Oh, absolutely. Uh, um, yeah, that's that's the dream girl. You know, she she cleans up nice and and yeah. and that's that's good every once in a while. But uh, <laughs> yeah, but you don't but, need uh, that around the house. All yeah, the yeah, but but yeah. yeah, but but you know, but Lainey is you know. Yeah. yeah, you don't need to change Lainey. You know, she's she's, she's <laughs> exactly. incredible. Sign me up. Yeah, um, yeah uh, friends. He he needs he needs to be changed. But anyway, what what do you got going on, Ralph? I, I like Freddie ever since I, ever since he played the Manny and and uh, Friends. I was all in on yep. Freddie. So and 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 you know he and Sarah Michelle Gellar make a very handsome couple. I, mm -hmm. I like both of them. Uh, sign me up. It, you know if if Sarah's if if he's good with Sarah, he's good with me or or sure. Sarah Michelle. Yeah. No. Um, anyway. Uh, yeah, check um, check my social media for the the Immortal Studios announcements. I, I'm not certain what they're going to announce at Comic Con and what they're not, so I don't want to I don't want to speak out of turn yet. But um, right. but man, let me tell you, I was at Comic Con and Eric Stevenson from Image just cornered me and said, "Hey, man, what do you want to do? You know, bring us five titles. We're going to greenlight all of them." So that was really great to hear. <laughs> um, and so you know, but did he uh, get around to announcing the comic with me? That's the question yeah. that I'm. <laughs> I'm. I'm. That is still. A, oh, am I not supposed to talk about that yet? I really hope yeah. we get to talk about it at Comic Con because I'm getting, I'm getting a little exhausted not talking about it. Fingers anyway. crossed. But yeah. we digress. Let's. Uh, let, let's. Let's bring our our guest on. We're ladies and gentlemen, Tilly we're Bridges. Howdy, howdy. Round of applause. Hi. We were admiring your backdrop, of course. Yes. Your thank code. You. <laughs> So we are we are always happy to talk to you, but today, of course, we want to talk about your new book. Uh, tell us briefly about yourself and even launch right into what is the new book. I am primarily a television writer as part of a writing team with my wife. Um, we are presently writing for season two of the new Monster High animated show. We have uh, two comics that we are in the middle of production on. We are writing for the Star Trek Adventures and Fallout role-playing games. Uh, and I'm picketing every chance I can get out there. Uh, it's mm -hmm. hot and awful, but, you know, it needs to be done. Um, and my new book is called Begin Transmission, The Trans Allegories of the Matrix. And it came out at the end of June. The, 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 the now Amazon best-selling uh, uh, book. Yes. We, we it's a surprise. Yeah. Yes. Well, I mean, it's a surprise maybe to you. Uh, I think a lot of us, when you were preparing this, were like, "No, that's uh, that's going to be popular. That's going to be uh, that's going to be a thing uh, that that people are interested in uh, in learning about." But uh, I wanted to talk about the origin of it because it originated as a Twitter thread. Is that right? Yeah, it was. Well. Initially, I thought it would be one Twitter thread, and it became 24. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I when I came out in the summer of 2020 publicly as trans, 
um, I wanted to use the remarkable privilege that I still have because I'm very, very white, as the folks watching can see. <laughs> and um, unlike a lot of trans people, uh, unfortunately, who lose their homes or families or jobs or friends, I didn't lose any of that. Mm -hmm. And um, because of all of those things, I'm so much more privileged than a lot of uh, trans people, especially trans women are. And so I wanted to use that if I could. And obviously, I am a writer. Writing is what I do. So I thought I would use that uh, to sort of chronicle my transition and what it's like existing in this world as a trans woman. And not long after I started, people started asking me uh, about The Matrix because it was around that time. I think it was the same summer that the Wachowskis had finally said that they intended it to be a trans allegory, which they've yeah. sort of later refined in that they set out to make a sci-fi movie and got their trans all over it, to quote Lily. <laughs> um, yeah. But uh, so people kept asking me what the allegories were saying. What did they mean? What, what were they really about? And so I thought, well, I always love the movies. I'll sit down and watch them again, which I hadn't seen since realizing I was trans. And I thought I would get one thread about it, like it would touch on some broad aspects, and that was it. And what I found was that it's so incredibly detailed and deep and layered to the trans experience that I, I that just the first movie ended up being five giant Twitter threads. And then, of course, people asked me about the sequels, and so I went through all of those, and it just keeps going in so many different, unique ways. Each movie has entirely different things to say about the trans experience. So um, over the course of, like, two and a half years I did those threads and uh, people kept asking me if I would turn them into a book and so I did now when you That's started the, the rewatch yeah because the because the the subject was was something you wanted to talk about write about like from the very beginning where you're taking notes about time code and you know like because for, for me sometimes you start a long project this has happened to me a lot where you're like blunder your way into a cool idea for a thing and you write like the really the version where you think it's going to be a hundred words and then 300 words later you go oh wait i gotta i gotta go back to the beginning and organize this thing like it's going to be the novel that it's going to end up to be like would did you sit down and go i start at the beginning frame one what's the first thing i see uh when you started out to write the book or even write the threads yeah, so when I rewatched the first movie with the intention of writing one thread about it, uh, like right away the first shot, I, I I paused it and I'm like, what the word trans is on screen in the first shot of the first film, right? And I'm like, okay, well it can't, it's not going to be like that all the way through. And so I just started watching it, and like ten minutes in, I had to stop and go back. And it took me, I think each movie took between eight to ten hours of watching <laughs> the same movie. That just watching it right. one time through over the course of eight to 10 hours and pausing it to jot down notes or questions that I wanted to ask myself later or do research so I could figure out what they were trying to say. So mm -hmm. um, it, it happened really fast. Once I noticed, once I was looking for it and I saw exactly what was there, it was, uh, I was like, oh, this is, this is going to be serious. Okay. The the, 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 the rewatch for me is, is such an interesting thing. I mean, um, you know, I, I when, when I started going through the book, I got really excited to go back to the movies because, you know, I, I mean, I watched them when they came out. Right. Yeah. And, and, um, and, and I, you know, I love them and I still love them. And, uh, and it, it was very clear that they're, 
I mean, they're they're about you know identity and existence and all of these things. Um, and and y- you may know deep down that it's about some of these things that 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 you address in the book. Um, but 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 going back with your eyes fully open, being like, okay, well, this is a trans allegory. <laughs> let, let 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 me again from 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 frame one. You know, I mean, what it reminded me of in a way is you get to the end of the sixth sense and you and you realize, holy shit, he's been dead this whole time. Right. And so, 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 so let let me go back to the beginning and, and it is blatantly obvious from moment one, if you're really looking that, yeah, Bruce Willis is dead. No one else is interacting with him or looking at him or, 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 or anything. It is obvious from frame one. It is obvious in every shot that, oh yeah, Bruce Willis is dead. Um, and he has been dead this entire time. And, and a similar thing with the matrix where again, like frame one, Okay, yeah, this is this is it's very obvious what this is about, and 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 I find it interesting that um, you know the idea, uh, you know that the, uh, the filmmaker saying, hey, um, we set out to make a, a sci-fi movie and got our trans all over it. The, the idea that maybe in the beginning they didn't even intend for this to be uh, uh, specifically about that, but it just just like just like anything, I mean. If, if, if we are doing our jobs as writers, right, as, as filmmakers, if we are if we are making this movie about something, about us, about uh, existence as we see it, like it can't it can't possibly not be about all those things. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, how many yeah. times, you know, as, as a writer, do you write something? And then once you finish the first draft and you read yeah. it again, you're like, oh, that's what I was writing about. Yeah. yeah, even yeah, know. yeah, yeah holy shit. Exactly yeah. Yeah. This, exactly. this is this is about my relationship with my dad. <laughs> and I didn't even right. know it. I set out to write yeah. an action movie that takes place in Mexico and it's about my dad. And that's what makes everything good. Yeah. I mean, you know, you talk about something being there in the first line. My father taught me, was a writer and taught me a lot about subtext. And I always remember him pointing out to me, one of our favorite movies to watch together was the original Superman. And this isn't so much about an emotional subtext, but he pointed out to me that the very first line in the movie, which is presented as part of Jor-El's prosecution of General Zod is, this is no fantasy. And for a world that had been raised on superhero material in mass media being ridiculous and intentionally absurd, uh, whoever it was, Mankiewicz or Puzo or whoever wrote that line, starts the movie with, no, we're, we're actually taking this seriously. See this set? I'm Marlon friggin' Brando. We're making a serious movie here. This is no fantasy. Listen closely listen up, we're going to entertain you, but it's also going to feel like a real movie, not some 1966 Batman thing. And when he pointed that out to me, like, it's a thing I now listen for and look for of like, you know, one of the other great moments of a screenwriter speaking to you directly is in Raiders of the Lost Ark when Sala says, how are you going to stop that truck? And he says, I don't know, I'm making this up as I go along. <laughs> and I, that always struck me as, you know, Larry Kasdan going, I don't know what's happening in the next scene. You know, ask me in 10 minutes. Uh, when the, when we've got the truck in our hands, then I'll be able to tell you. But uh, but yeah, I think it's a- anyone who who takes honestly, even if you're a hack, even if you don't take the job seriously, you cannot help but write about what you know and feel and experience and believe and you know all of that and and that uh, that ultimately finds its way in the material and particularly you know in the case of Lana and Lily. 
they weren't out. The movie couldn't be out. Uh, right. They were making a giant budget science fiction action movie. And in a time like it's you couldn't you couldn't make that movie now, really, with studio. You can make you could not make a two hundred million dollar movie directly about the trans experience. No, no, I don't think any studio would give you the money for that. No, you still can. And if, if you even yeah. look at Resurrections, which just came out in 2021 <clears throat> and Lana, you know, has been out for like 20 years now, there's still like one trans person on screen and they have two lines and you don't even know they're trans if you don't know who that person is ahead of time right. and this is like the most like I, i've seen other trans people call the matrix series like the trans bible because it's that important to us and and in that in the, the only mass media franchise we have we can't even be on screen in our own stuff right. so and yeah there's no way that these movies would have ever been made if they had been out back then and yeah. and you know in the late 90s it was even harder to be an out trans person than it is now. And it's really rough right now. So, mm -hmm. I mean, it's it's a miracle that it happened at all. Well, I, I mean, what, what is really what is really fascinating to me, and I, I don't even know if I know how to put this into words yet, is that, I mean, you, you read through your book and then you watch back through the movies and it is so, again, it is so obvious to me um, that, that this is about that, right? However, yeah. however, the the experience of 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 being trans and and existing in the world and and struggling to find your place in the world and struggling to be accepted it is such a it is such a universal human theme yeah. that 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 literally you know the i mean this is one of the most these are i mean this series is is maybe the most successful film series ever you know um uh uh, uh aside from star wars or, or or whatever but i mean these were mega hits right like just just absurd and um and all these people were watching that and and they were eating it with a spoon and and embracing it and they saw themselves in it um and 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 that's the interesting thing is that is that you know they they didn't know what they were watching 100 percent but 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 they knew that they saw humanity and they saw love and they saw acceptance and they saw uh, uh, you know all of these things and they saw themselves in it that yeah. that is the most interesting thing to me and, and and that there is still part of the population that can that can fully embrace the matrix but not fully embrace human beings well, that are that are that are wrestling with the same thing is it, it, it is a really interesting dichotomy to me and I, and, that, and, and that is that is always the 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 deflating thing about some of this stuff yeah is that you've got the people who get what it's about grasp it 100 percent, and were the you're preaching to the choir they were the audience that was already on board you've got the people who will be turned around uh in a sense that you know, was always the thing I thought about Rosie O'Donnell and Ellen DeGeneres, far from perfect people, but there were a billion, there were a hundred million suburban moms who thought those two women were their best friend who was in their living room every day. And it is incalculable that when that person comes out of the closet, a large percentage of those people have their assumptions rewritten about, would I have a lesbian over to tea every day? I guess I would. I I get I I guess that's okay. And then there are the people who turn away, who never get it. On Twitter yesterday, some dude replied to a thing about uh I can't remember what the tweet was about, but it was something about diversity. And the guy was like, Well, why wouldn't people just want to be around their own kind of people? That seems really natural. I looked at his I 
just sheer curiosity, clicked on his profile. He had Star Trek was his header photo. Yeah. There's so many of those people. And, and it's I was so like, sad. you believe in the yeah. ultra diverse 23rd century utopia of the United Federation of Planets. And you can't grasp why it's cool to have a Vulcan on the bridge. Stra like, how do you, how do you watch Star Trek for 30 years and not get the, like, it's kind of cool. Yeah. We're all here together, man, doing, doing this job. Like this is, this is a good thing. The people who only think the spaceships are cool or like that Shatner punches a guy every episode or, you know, whatever, whatever they're responding to, but the deeper message, I can honestly say the metaphor of Star Trek got into my bloodstream so thoroughly. And of course it was also the political worldview of my parents. I absolutely, without needing it spelled out, got the metaphor of like, oh, the Federation is the United Nations, Starfleet is the UN peacekeeping force. And when I found out that people hated the United Nations, I'm like, how can you, how can you hate the Federation, man? They're just trying to keep the peace. What's wrong with, you know? But I realized like that's Cold War propaganda, good in some ways, Cold War propaganda. I mean, it's pretty amazing in the longness of that franchise we'll go back to talking about the matrix in a minute but th that i love the payoff th of 20 years later that the organians say to captain kirk someday you and the klingons you and the russians will stop threatening each other and you'll be fast friends and that roddenberry lived long enough to put a klingon on the bridge of the enterprise and go see man just like the organians said only took only took 100 years <laughs> you know 20 years of my life 100 years of uh of the future in the federation but that, that that you could watch that show and not grasp literally the only thing it's about. It's another thing. A guy posted a thing about you know Superman not being a social justice warrior, and you know, well, obviously you don't understand the character. And I went out and and searched for. I found four panels, and I called it. This is your Superman is a social justice warrior starter pack. Yeah, and he it always was, has been. And it was Clark Kent. It was a panel of Clark Kent appearing on television. In a televised debate, anti uh, the death penalty, uh, it was that famous ad that they ran DC ran in the '70s, saying like the most American thing is to be diverse and to love people for who they are. That great thing. It was like three other. One was the I think it was the panel of him telling the wife beater, "Why don't you pick on someone your own size?" And then the then the one where he's grabbing a war profiteer by the lapels and saying, I'm not letting you start a war in South America just so that you can sell munitions. <laughs> you know, I was like, that's awesome. Very, very, you know, not to say any of it was perfect, but like absolutely a new deal, Democrat, immigrant, East coast <clears throat> media elite dude, <laughs> you know, like that is Clark Kent. You're looking for a libertarian. You, you know, you've always got Batman to fall back. It, on. it just, it just reminded me, it, you know, somebody had tweeted out, uh, Jesus never introduced himself with pronouns. And then, uh, and then the, the number of people that like that hopped on this person with, 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 with verse, you know, uh, yeah, yeah, you know, I am, yeah, I am, I am he who, yeah, I am he who it's it just, just over and over and over. Well, yeah, the, I mean, that always the self, yeah. the self, the pronouns thing, there's always yeah. a pronoun in the bio of someone. Yeah, yeah. There couldn't be any pronouns. It's not he him in parentheses, but it's yeah some other some other selection of pronouns. Yeah, and I can say I I will I will absolutely admit I had regressive. I I feel lucky on this particular issue because I probably had very standard American cultural 
uh, regressive feelings about trans people in the 70s when I was a young kid and a teenager. And at 14, one of my best friends went through a transition and it was m my best friend. And I went, oh, okay, human being, born in the wrong body, needs to transition, got it, moving on. <laughs> you know, like it, it, it wasn't, it wasn't a pain, like it was a, bigotries are very easy to let go of. I don't think people know, understand that. Like, it's very easy to go, oh, now that I've met a human being that has this uh, characteristic that I was freaked out by, unprepared for, unfamiliar with, you know, uh, I, I, I guess they're human beings. Fine, moving on. <laughs> you know, like, what's the, what, there, there's there's nothing, uh, you know, the, the conservative movement is, they're always jumping at shadows and looking at things, looking for things to be afraid of that are not in any way fearsome, you know. And that's the, uh, that's ultimately, that's, that's, that's ultimately what defines that movement these days. Have you heard anything, I'm curious, from the Wachowskis about the book? I talked with Lily about it a little bit before mm -hmm. it came out. Um, mm -hmm. uh, and she was very, very kind and very sweet. She's an absolutely lovely person, which delights me to no end, not just because I love meeting great people who are nice and kind, but when the, there's like an artist whose work that you love and it means so much to you down to your, your core, you know? And then if you find out that they're terrible people, your heart breaks in it. So it's just yeah. so, so extra great to know that really beautiful, kind, wonderful people made this beautiful, kind art that means so much to me. Mm -hmm. And have you, I, I don't suppose there's been any uh, contact with any of the actors of the movie about it or any feedback no. from them? No, I, I do not have access to Keanu and Carrie Ann, unfortunately. Yeah, I have, I have, I have friend of a friend access to Keanu, and I wonder if it's worth trying to put that in front of him. A very one of my closest friends, Rob Mailhouse, is in Dog Star. Nice, uh, Keanu's rock and roll band, uh, and they've they they just recorded a new album and they've started playing again. Um, is it, are they touring? I don't know if they're touring outside they of Los, Los Angeles. Angeles. Yeah, yeah, I think. I would, totally, touring, I would totally go see Dogstar. <laughs> they're playing the Roxy. Let's, let's, know, let's, let's go to the Roxy and we will physically hand uh, uh, yeah. Keanu uh, yeah. the book I'll, when he puts I'll, his face down. I'll ask Mailhouse if he would be willing to, to to hand that over. That might be uh, that might be <clears> that might be worth doing because it is uh, you know he has always seemed to be relatively sensitive Keanu that is uh, to to this to the this issue and to this issue regarding these movies um you know it's uh he 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 does not he he is the rare unproblematic uh fave uh yeah. out there he's he's, he's just like a really good dude it's it's yeah. really really nice yeah. yeah i met him once briefly uh the mutual friend who's how i know rob mailhouse died sort of tragically and young and uh, Keanu came to the funeral, and we exchanged a few words of condolence to one another. And he was very, 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 very kind. And my wife worked with—I uh, suddenly her name, which you just said, threw out, flew out of my head. Trinity on Carrie Ann uh, Moss. Carrie Ann. I can't remember yeah. if it was Ch on Chuck or anything, but said she was just absolutely a lovely, lovely person. Um, but. Uh, how, how has the response been so far? I mean, I know it's been, you know, sales seem like they have been brisk 
and reviews look like they have been grabbed? Have there been any reviews outside of user reviews that you've seen? Um, not yet. No. Um, I'm, I'm, I've been really surprised and I heartened by the response. I mean, it's like, I knew from the threads, so many trans people had reached out to me and, and told me how much it meant to them that they understood now why these movies meant so much to them. And, you know, people who said it helped them figure out that they were trans or, or, uh, cis parents who said that those threads help them understand their trans kids. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. that means the world to me. And, and if you look at like the reviews on Amazon, they're filled with people saying kind of that same kind of stuff. And it, it's like having this real impact on people. And that means so much to me, but I'm also a little <laughs> worried because at some point, you know, the, the right wing sphere is going to find it and they're yeah. not going to be happy with what they find written about them inside at whose fault it is all of this trans oppression. So, yeah. uh, you know, I'm just sort of uh, biding my time bracing for the inevitable blowback that will happen. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I know those words hurt when they come, but if you're pissing off those people, you're doing everything. Oh right. yeah. I'm yeah, not worried yeah, about pissing yeah. them off. I just don't want to be yeah. harassed. Yeah. 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 I, I, I mean, I, I think it's, um, I think it's such an amazing thing that, you know, again, I mean, uh, you know, you, you watched the matrix, you saw yourself in the matrix. That was very meaningful to you. Right. And, and to, to help people see that also is a thing, but but they're reading your book now and seeing themselves in it or seeing their daughter in it or, or, yeah. or, or, or whatever. And that's very, I mean, for, for me as an artist, as a writer, that has, has been, you know, the most meaningful thing is, is, yeah. you know, uh, yeah. my, my first comic book aberrant is, is about, uh, it's about soldiers, right. And, and really it's about PTSD and it's about losing your friends and all of these things. And, you know, it's, it, there have been more than a few times where I have been, you know, cornered by somebody at a con and, you know, they say, hey, I'm, you know, I, I'm, I'm army. I was in Iraq. I was in Afghanistan. Uh, I, you know, I read Aberrant and, you know, Aberrant is, it's about people with superheroes, but really it's, it, it is, it is a small story about soldiers and about loss again. And, and he's, and, and these people say, I, I read this, you know, you, you got it right. You got the soldiers right. I saw myself in it. Uh, I went through this and this is how I dealt with it. And, 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 and thank you for that, you know? Um, yeah. uh, and, and, and that was very meaningful. That was exactly why I wrote this, right? Because I, because I was dealing with loss because I was, I was struggling with, um, you know, my, my, my dad went to Vietnam. He didn't die in Vietnam, but he ended up dying of cancer caused by Agent Orange. Uh, I was laying in bed with him for the last week of his life. And, and, you know, what absolutely devastated me, what broke my heart more than anything is that he's sitting there dying and he's dying, you know, of, of cancer that he has because he, he was forced to fight in this war. He was drafted. He didn't volunteer to go do it. He didn't want to go do it. He was 18. He had plans. Somebody handed him a rifle and said, Hey, you know, those people that you have no beef with, they're going to try to kill you. So kill them first. Um, which is horrific. I mean, yeah. if that happened to me when I was 18, I can't imagine it, but we're sitting in bed. He's dying. He would literally be dead in like three days. Uh, and, and, and he looked me in the eye and he said, you know, I, I'm, I'm scared to die because I don't know if God is going to forgive me for the stuff that I had to do in Vietnam. And that was absolutely fucking devastating to me. And it still yeah. is, you know, I mean, I, I have, I've dealt with it, you know, very seriously over the years and tried to process it and all of that, that thing. So, so, so that's why I can sit here and, and, and actually speak those words now. I couldn't do that probably five years ago. Um, uh, I'm, I'm still a little worked up even saying it, but, um, but, you know, writing aberrant was my way of processing all of that and, and, and other things in my life also. But, but again, the, 
it part of the way part of the reason I got through it was writing that. And so it's amazing that that people who have been through similar things uh, can read that and they see themselves in it and it helps them process. It helps them heal all of these things. And that is the sense that I get from from your book and from sitting here talking to you now is that um, is that writing this, seeing these movies, it, 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 it was it was it was part of your of your healing, of your processing, of you figuring yeah. out who you were. And you, you've almost written a manual for other people to do that also. And I, I think that that's phenomenal. I think that's exceptional. I think it's, it's awesome. And, and, you know, you talk about, you know, it's almost like a, um, I don't know what it is. It's like a, a Bible to the Bible or something like that. I think that that's really interesting. <laughs> well, it's a, yeah, it's, it's a, it's a key to a castle. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think it's a I key mean, those to, movies, they, they taught me a lot. Uh, about myself, you know, when I was uh, transitioning and the things I was going through and to see how completely understood I was by these movies that were made 20 years ago, mm-hmm. long before I came out. And they see me in a way that no other media really sees trans people. And it meant so much to me. It, it changed my life to feel that understood when you you're, you feel, you know, when, when you have gender dysphoria, you feel very isolated and alone and apart from the world your whole life. Um, and so to feel that understood on that core level, it was life changing. And, and I needed to get that out there for other people because I knew it, it could help them as much as it helped me. And, and you know, the movies uh, and the book, I think they also have a lot to say uh, about cis people and and how you can be better allies and and what we all owe to each other, trans and cis alike, as human beings, and how we can find, you know, a better future and a way forward together, uh, not in spite of our differences, but because of them, because they're beautiful and we're really all more alike than not. And so, you know, when you look at it, at the the entire franchise, through all four movies, it, it's sort of like this blueprint for the future not just for trans people, but for all of us. And, um, you know, I, I guess I shouldn't be surprised. Uh, I mean, I guess I wasn't surprised, but I was very gratified. But that that Lily uh, was such a, a beautiful, kind soul, because I think to make the movies that they did that have the messages they do, they they have to have that. It's, it's their beating heart that's in the movie. And so that's just what I'm trying to sort of, you know, I I think I said in the book that I, if, if you're really impressed by this, thank the Wachowskis. It's their work. It's their beautiful art. I'm just a guide. I'm just an interpreter trying to show you what they were, you know, trying to get across. So. Yeah. I, I, I think that's anytime you ever think, well, as an artist is, you know, does what I do have value? Do I, am I helping anyone in any way? You can see yourself in anything in any, you know, I always use as an example, there's a three panel daily, three three panel peanut strips that saved my life because i saw them at the right time yeah uh I, I saw them when my sister cut me out of her life and they explained the relationship between linus and lucy and i went my sister couldn't explain what she was going through but charles schultz understands that relationship really well and it's the goofiest thing uh, i think ryland is resetting his internet but you know, uh, and the, a scene between uh, between Odenkirk and uh, and Michael McKean on uh, 
on uh, on Better Call Saul had, had the same effect. I, like it explained something to me, and I went, "Oh, I get it." And even you know, talking about it in big blockbuster movies, when the Empire, when Star Wars came out, my father was in the worst part of his life. Uh, he had been blacklisted. He had a physical illness that was a chronic pain that couldn't go away thing, and it affected his mental health, as chronic pain will do to people. And by 1980, he had tr started to recover from it. But to me, the first trilogy of Star Wars movies is about accepting that your father is a human being and flawed and capable of downfall and capable of redemption and salvation. And those movies are incredibly meaningful to me. Uh, in that pulp, you know, in the pulpy movie with the murder bears, when James Earl Jones says, it's too late for me, son, I burst into fucking tears. Yeah. And tell your sister you were right. You were right about me. That's in I, no murder bear is going to make that not meaningful to me. Yeah. Uh, no amount of Muppets at uh, on Jabba's sail barge can, can distract me from the beauty of that message. <laughs> and that is about, you know, and again, the first movie is about yearning to have a bigger life then you're the small town you grew up in affords you. That's also a valuable thing. And that meant a lot to me when I was 12 years old and, and I saw it, but I needed something richer and deeper going forward. Okay. Luke's out of his small town. We've dealt with the adolescent yearning to have a bigger life than you think your hometown can give you. Now what, you know, and uh, having spoken about those, do you, would you like to outline like what the major themes are that you think come across in those movies? Not to, not to, not to spoiler the books, but like, I'm yeah. curious if there's a major overarching thing and how it appears, you know, if there's a, not, not to give like a quick, uh, a, a quick exegesis of the, of the books, but like, where did the light bulb go off? Was it seeing trans on the screen in the very first shot or, you know, where, where does it really, where does the lightning bolt hit? Um, there were two little lightning bolts. Uh, and the first one was uh, when I was watching the movie the first time, uh, I'm always very interested in why writers choose the names they do for their characters. Mm. And so I started looking up the names of the characters and what they meant. And that the, the Wachowskis do this beautiful thing that I like to call super text. It's not, it's the opposite of subtext. They're so right. in your face about it. If you just, if you just are looking, it's right there. And yeah. they do that a lot with character names uh, that almost tell you exactly what each character's role in the story is. And then the second lightning bolt came uh, at the first scene with the pills, the red pill and the blue pill, because I noticed in everything leading up to that scene in the first movie, uh, red was used really, really specifically and only in very sparing instances. And I was trying to figure out why that was. I figured they were trying to say something with it. Mm -hmm. And then when you get to that scene, you learn that the red pill is to learn the truth, right? And and when you know in uh, also in, in uh, transness, back in the 90s, the estrogen pill for women was a red pill. Right. Um, and obviously the Wachowskis were not out, but they were still trans. And we don't know when they started transitioning. That's, you know, none of our business, but they would have been aware of that. And so I put those two things together and, and what you, I come up with this, this sort of, what you see is that all four movies track the transition journey of one person from Thomas Anderson to Neo to Trinity 
who represents uh, Neo's self-actualization, the person he wishes to be, the person he is on inside and wants to be on the outside. And all four movies are about his transition getting to that point, finally and for good. And the <clears throat> colors are used, a lot of the allegories are conveyed very visually uh, in shot composition, uh, the lighting. You have to look really carefully, which is why I ended up using the timestamps because uh, it's so, so heavily visual that uh, you really need to pause it sometimes and look at what they're showing you and what they're not showing you and where the colors are and where the characters are and where the two are in relation to each other. And so throughout the entire series, and I, I was sure that it was going to break at some point, but it never, ever did. Um, red stands for truth always. And blue is always doubt, although there are different kinds of doubt that people go through. So that changes and morphs a bit through the series. Um, and yellow is always fear. And the combination of those colors also hold through the entire series. So if you see somebody dressed in purple, they're dealing with truth and doubt at the same time. And the green overcast within the matrix of the first three films shows you that the matrix, which is the cisgender binary that we're all forced into at birth without our consent, is based in fear and doubt. Blue and yellow is green. Uh, so most of the characters represent aspects of Neo's psyche. Um, he's interacting with himself along his journey, trying to figure out his truth. And um, so what you really get down to is that the first movie is about discovering that you're trans and choosing to transition, choosing to accept yourself for who you are. Uh, Reloaded is about how once you choose to transition and you come out, all of society is suddenly coming for you. Uh, life becomes so much more difficult to move through than it did when you were a cis person. And knowing how much harder society was gonna make your life, would you still have chosen to transition uh, if you knew that ahead of time? And the answer is yes, but why? Why would you still choose that knowing how hard your life would be? And when you get to revolutions, uh, it becomes about uh, dealing with your own internalized transphobia that society worms into you uh, just by existing in a transphobic society. Like what, you know, I, I always tell people when I was a kid, I didn't know trans was a thing you could be. It didn't exist. Society, my parents, my family, nobody said trans is a thing you can be. You were taught that it wasn't. You were just exactly what you were told you were. Uh, they said I was a boy when I was born. And so that's what I had to be. And I tried so hard for so long to be that person. And that's not who I am. And it didn't work. And that's why I was miserable. But um, so that, that kind of transphobia gets into all of us and you have to deal with it. You have to confront it if you ever hope to truly self-actualize and become who you really are. And it's also about um, revolutions specifically is about knowing how hard society has made life for trans people. How do we find a way forward? What does that path look like? What future, what kind of a future would we have to be, have to have? How do we get there where trans people and cis people and everybody could live together in harmony? And when you get to uh, resurrections, it's about detransitioning and retransitioning. And uh, mm. just very briefly, in case anybody listening doesn't know, uh, detransitioning is when a trans person who has transitioned decides to go back to their previous gender. Uh, most often, overwhelmingly often, it is just because life as an out trans person is so hard, they can't deal with it anymore. Uh, very, very rarely is it actually because they're not trans. And on those occasions, I like to point out, that's not a trans, person mis trans person's mistake. That was a cis person's mistake. It's not on us. 
Um, mm -hmm. So it's about detransitioning and retransitioning and very much also about the co-opting and erasure of trans voices, which is something that happens to trans people in media uh, throughout history, but also very specifically happened to the Wachowskis with the original films and the way the red pill was co-opted to mean the exact opposite of what it was supposed yeah. to be by those Speak men's rights activists. Yeah. Speaking um, of so people it, who did not understand. Exactly. <laughs> and yeah. didn't understand this story at all. At all. Uh, that, yeah. is, that is a, that is, that is something that the red pilling thing in the men's rights movement is really like the classic of the genre of not getting, not understanding the story <laughs> yeah. and literally want wanting to believe the opposite of what the artist's intention was but again also you that it can it has to be said that you can't you can't make people see a thing that when they are dedicated to seeing it the opposite way and mm -hmm. to getting yeah. it exactly wrong and to thinking well, no yeah, i love this thing and yeah. it's got fun violence in it so obviously well, this is on the, my side the, yeah the, the, there's just such a huge irony in it because it's the the, the movies are i i i mean tilly you you, you very uh, astutely, very poetically laid out what they are about specifically, right? But but generally, they are about change and embracing change, yep. and how hard it is to to change in society and to change society, right? I mean, the, yep. the, 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 those are the larger universal themes, and um, and yeah, you know these these guys that that you know what I'm saying? It's they're, they're that's the irony, and is that they're not, you know, I mean they're they're embracing the exact opposite right um i i, I mean that, that that's what's interesting to me and I, I i do think it's um i mean again it's it's why the movies are so great because it's um it, you know again there there are these very specific themes and then and then these these more general themes also changing society but but also you know again uh, it's such just a human thing um yeah. i i am brought into this world and i am told that i need to do this i need to be this Right. Uh, but I grow up and I decide I want to be something else. I, I want to, or, or I, I just am something else. Like I, 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 I want, I, I want to love someone other than uh, what, um, what my parents are telling me is okay. What my church is telling me is okay. What society at large is telling me is okay. Uh, I want to, you know, I, I, I want to dance. I want to study this. I want to uh, you know, any of these things. Um, it is it is such a it, it is such a universal human theme, right? Um, yeah. And uh, and and it's why so many people are moved and affected by this. And again, the um, uh, the idea that there are, there is this portion of society again that cannot connect the dots is 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 very annoying to me and very troubling to me. I don't want to I want to shake them and I want to scream yeah. at them. <laughs> yeah, it's um, it's definitely a problem i mean like people will always see just what they want to see right um yeah. and the the brilliance of it of the wachowskis is that they saw these dudes coming they called yeah. them out in the uh first two movies and again in the fourth one uh that they they when they made that first film never knowing there would be any sequels in 1999 they knew these dudes were going to misappropriate this shit and get it wrong and they called them out and I just, it's like, what must that be like to, to be called out by the people whose stuff you've appropriated before you appropriated it because they knew you were going to get it wrong. Uh, they knew you were so blinded by the system uh, that you couldn't see. And, you know, you're, you're so blinded by it. You think you're outside it when you're as deep inside as you could possibly get. 
So it's, yeah, I don't, there's, there's so many people like that. It's, it's disheartening. I, I get it. I really do. And, and, you know, and again, trans, just like so many other things that people pretend started yesterday is ancient. It's yeah, part of, we've been around thousands know, of years, as long as people have been. I don't know if you follow a friend of mine um, named Jess Nevins, who's the greatest uh, authority on the history of, uh, for want of a better term, pulp literature, but um, of heroic fantasy. And he goes all the way back. He was posting a thing just the other day. I, I wish I could remember what it was from, but it was from like a Norse Edda. You know, it was from like a 2000 year old saga, Norse saga. And there was a warrior, a male warrior. And at some point in this saga, he walks into the camp or she walks into the camp dressed in female clothes and says, everybody is going to call me Sarah now. And everybody goes, well, we don't want to die. So we're going to all call you Sarah now. And the great warrior is Sarah or what I, you know, I'm, I'm just slugging a name on there for the rest of the saga. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's been in heroic literature even. Uh, yeah. And there's, there's since... records of, of trans people in cultures going back to like 4,000 BC, like the, the beginning of human record, right? Like it's back as far as you can go. We've always been here. Yeah. Um, but you know, I, and I think like what, what you were saying, uh, Ryland about how, uh, the themes are so universal and I, I sort of talk about this a little bit in the book, but it's because trans stories are human stories because we're human people. And so while, you know, cis people might not know what it's like to uh, experience gender dysphoria or to have to transition your gender presentation, you know what it's like to feel like you don't belong or to feel like the expectations of your family or society are not who you are or who you want to be. And mm -hmm. so, you know, the details are different, but the broad strokes are the same. We're all we're all just human beings trying to figure this this crap it, out. It, 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 you're you're one you're one hundred percent right. It, it's the story yeah. of the founding of this country. You know, yeah. uh, 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 you know, we as as Americans, as the thirteen colonies, we 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 want to be this. We we are this. We want to uh, we want to worship in this way. We want to uh, uh, conduct business in this way. But but there's this uh, there's this overlord. There's this society that says, no, you got to do this, or or, yeah. or 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 we're gonna knock you around. And it's like, okay, well, you know, well. We, you know, we're, we're gonna, we're gonna fight about it. You know? yeah. <laughs> and, and, and if we have to, we're gonna, if, we, if we're gonna have to, we're gonna fight about it again. You know, there's um, actually a relevant, a relevant story about this. I don't know if you've ever heard it from the, I think it's from the battle of uh, Fort Ticonderoga. And obviously <clears throat> this is not directly a trans thing, but it's about how the fear of change manifests itself in the eyes of the people resisting change. When they lost the battle of Fort Ticonderoga, the British army had to march out uh, under the eyes of the victorious American troops. And there's a quote from some British grenadier looking up at the Americans standing on the ridge going, they were like a different race. They were so not us, even though they were English yesterday, they were British or Scottish or German yesterday. We have been yeah. defeated by a new race of man, a new thing on this earth that we were unprepared. We as Europe European trained mercenary soldiers were not actually prepared for these dudes who are <laughs> fighting for their homes and their families. They have something we do not have. 
could not have. And that's absolutely why we got wiped out is because we're up against literally that a British foot soldier, even looking at just another dude in a different colored uniform goes, no, that's a different race. <laughs> like that's not even because it beat me. That's something new and dangerous. And I'm terrified of these people who are just another bunch of white dudes and tri-cornered ads. Uh, but because they represent a philosophy, I don't, they're fighting for freedom, which is a thing I, as a British surf, don't actually grasp in the same way that they do. We both have the word. It doesn't mean the same thing to us. It means something to these guys that I, and they're scary about it. Uh, and I think that's a, that's a real thing. I mean, it's a, once you get it in your head, the change is okay. Anything is possible for you. I remember the yep. first time I heard when I was a little kid <clears throat> growing up in an extremely white cis male America that still is. Yeah. But way more <laughs> yeah. so. Yeah. Way, yeah. way, 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 way more so. Like I remember the first time I saw a black person in a McDonald's commercial. I am that old and went, Ooh, they're not afraid of racists, not buying McDonald's hamburgers. It's like, no, someone at McDonald's went, you know, we should sell some hamburgers to black people. Would everybody okay with that? Um, but I remember reading something in probably <clears throat> Omni or Time magazine about how in two, three hundred, you know, in a hundred years, Americans uh, would not be minority white. And for maybe the first and last time in my life, I had the moment of white. Well, well that uh, that's not going to be good. And then I went, why? <laughs> like, what? What? Who cares? What? What do I get out of? Like, what do I get out of being the dominant, quote unquote, race in America that I need? Nothing, turns out. Don't need anything. And it, like, for a day, I was like, oh, the future is bleak. And then I went, who, who gives a shit? Who gives a shit if there are more Hispanics in my town than there are white people? Who gives a shit if there are more, you know, black people in a bar that I walk into? They've been walking into bars where they're the only black person for 200 years. You know, why? Well, I've been walking into bars for 200 years. Uh, used yeah. To I mean, it's, it's the bigots who are, are worried about that because they're afraid that once they become the minority, they'll be treated the way that they treated minorities, you know, and that's, exactly. that's what it all comes down to. There's a, there's a great, there's a movie called the dry white season, <clears throat> uh, which really has a great scene about that. Donald Sutherland plays someone uh, in South, in Africa, South Africa during the apartheid era, the public defender defending a anti-apartheid activist and his wife is pro-apartheid. And he says to her like, what do you, these are kind, good people that deserve to be treated fairly. What do you, what is your problem? And she says, if I was them, oh, she said, if we get rid of apartheid, we will all have our cuts, our throats cut in the first night. And he said, and he's like, that's crazy why do you think that and she says because if someone treated me the way i have treated them i would cut their fucking throat the first chance i got it's like well maybe they're nicer than you <laughs> you know maybe that's why you're the oppressor actually and they're not because you think like that and getting that like <clears throat> well they're gonna want revenge uh or maybe not. Maybe they just want to eat in the same diner, man. <laughs> maybe, maybe it's not. Uh, maybe it's not a threat to you. And it's, uh, 
it's hard for a lot of people to swallow that it's not a threat to you you know all the bathroom bills it's like well i'm like who are have you been looking at people's junk in bathrooms the last 30 years i haven't i it has never occurred to me no, what is the wrong thing is, with like, you every single cis person in this country has used a public bathroom when a trans person was in there and you didn't oh, even know 100%. because all we're doing is peeing and pooping and leaving what well, washing right. our hands of course good hygiene but right. just leave us alone well like, and, all, we and also alone, you know specifically uh, when they talk about you know trans women in women's bathrooms i'm like you guys have doors on those stalls right i mean i haven't been in a lot of ladies rooms but once or twice and uh i i think you're i think you're pretty safe from seeing gen like well, generally people know. don't walk out of the stall uh waving their stuff around uh in in either in any bathroom really um but you know it's all it's all madness and it's all you know they they drag out that once someone think of the children and the children are in absolutely no danger um you know yeah. if uh if we were worried about children being a danger we would stop people from being youth pastors and wrestling coaches and being uh boy scout uh troop leaders because that's uh, that's where real danger uh lies hosts of yeah. children's television shows also a dangerous group of people um but you know i think i think there's another layer of it uh with the matrix film specifically too though because i think like so many especially cis white dudes especially ones that were younger when they saw it identified with it really strongly and when you tell them that this is an intrinsically trans narrative it it freaks them out because they start to think does that mean i'm trans i can't be trans i'm not trans i'm a man and right. so it's this this weird blowback where they feel like they can't even identify with or like something that is not specifically about them especially if it's about trans people because that says something about their masculinity or their gender right. or their sexuality and it's the whole way masculinity is sort of warped in this country oh, yeah. and in a lot of countries, you know, it's, it's just, yeah. I mean, I will so say though, it is one of, you know, the interesting cultural as an Italian American, there are cliches about men and women that I go, not, not among Italians, man. I don't know what you're talking about. You know, the whole like men aren't supposed to show emotions and men don't cry in public. I'm like, I don't know. My people cry in public all the time. What do you say? You ever seen Pagliacci? Uh, you're going to see a lot of Italians crying in public. It's, uh, it's, I mean, it's just, it's interesting because it shows how absurd and plastic and Matt, what, what is manly in the United States of America? <clears throat> what is manly in Italy is not what's manly in the United States of America. What's manly in Germany won't fly in Italy. What's manly in Spain doesn't fly in England. It's not, it's not the and the the malleability of it should give you a clue it's almost it's like there's nonsense. no hard definition yeah weird. yeah it's almost it's almost like it's whatever the hell you want and you should be okay with that and you shouldn't but we're taught from a very early age to like mock yeah. everything that's different and and be afraid of everything that's different and at a certain point if you have you know if you if you have an open mind you go like oh but the best times i've had have been among people who weren't like me. The times I've learned yeah. uh, and had new experiences and eaten new food and been open to new art is all from interaction with, you know, it's always one of my pet, one of my greatest pet peeves is when we're told we should not uh, block fascists on social media because we need to know 
fascists haven't had a new idea since you know the Roman Empire. There's there's no. there's nothing to learn about. Oh, but what are they what are they cooking up? What they're cooking up is the same shit they were cooking up in you know in Nazi Germany. It's not. Yep. And and they will tell you that you live in a bubble. And I'm like, that's interesting. I live in Los Angeles, California, where I have met Republicans who were born in Texas. People who live in Texas in a small town with 10,000 people that they never live, that they never leave, and who have never met a Jew in their lives, pretty sure that's the bubble. I'm pretty yeah. sure that once you get out of the bubble, that's, I mean, and again, that's what the Matrix movies are about. Get out of the bubble. See the world as it really is. The world is not this, you know, yeah. this gray nightmare, you know. And it's like it reminds me of, I never particularly liked Fight Club. It didn't speak to me in any way, shape, or form. And I remember mentioning that to my brother-in-law. And he was like, yeah, but look at the life you live. You do not have a job with a cubicle. You're not angry about how the world treated you. All of your furniture is not from Ikea. Of course, that movie has nothing for you. You know, that movie's about how the rebelliousness of guys who live these very constrained lives it's about that phrase he's like yeah you have no idea what that frustration is like you've never had to get up every morning and go to a, a skyscraper and sit in a cubicle and do the same thing for for eight hours i was like well i have a couple of times but point taken and uh and 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 you know talk about misunderstood texts that thing where people don't understand that who the villain is um yeah. the clockwork orange problem like of like no alex is cool no no he's not he's garbage he's a rapist um and even kubrick went oh i made him look cool i have made a terrible mistake and i never want to see that movie again but it's a it, it is a danger in art uh and it's a, a danger in how you you, you as, as we're talking about with the red pill thing you cannot protect yourself from people choosing to misunderstand you all you can do is say well that's not what that's not what i was going for uh yeah I, I mean even going back to like star trek what you talked about before and the people who've missed that like the original series was very heavy-handed with its allegories like the, those those aliens that were half black on one side and half white on the other and the other half mm -hmm. just had it reversed it's so obvious what that's about and it goes right over some people's heads still it blows your mind i do always love taught that particular episode is one of it's such an easy uh, ridiculous laughing stock, but there's something that I realized about it about three years ago, and I am obsessed with it. That idea of how to portray racism is genius, and here's yeah, why. especially in the '60s. When, yeah, when you're dealing with a society that's supposed <clears throat> to be race blind, to come up with a form of racism that you can show explicitly on screen, but the audience at home is going to miss it. No one who's ever watched that episode watches the first scene and goes, oh, well, Frank Gorshin is black on the left, but the guy I don't recognize is black on the right. And that's the difference. When Captain Kirk says, I don't, what the hell are you guys talking about? You're the same race. The whole audience goes, yeah, yeah, they're, those two guys are the same race. What are you talking And when he points it out, you go, oh, shit, really? That's the thing that you're, you're upset about which side? But I, I maintain that is a very hard allegory to to do a story about racism in which there are characters of two different races and the audience is just as unable to pick it up as the characters who are supposed to be race blind. That is a, 
that is really fucking hard, you know, and as clunky and over the top it is as it is. And it's a very clunky over the top episode. I, to me, I'm like that, that part was smart though. And that part works. And, yeah. uh, and yeah, there are people who will watch any of those episodes, you know, with Kirk and the Klingons interfering in the prime directive. And even today you say, well, that's, uh, that planet is Viet. That's planet Vietnam. We do this about five times in the series. We go to planet Vietnam and we talk about <laughs> sometimes we talk about how it's necessary for us to be there to balance the Klingons. Sometimes we talk about how this is just terrible and we should never have done it depending on who wrote the episode. Um, but, uh, but yeah, there are people who will never see it no matter how blatant it is, no matter, no matter how nail on the head it is. And yeah. uh, you can't, there's you can't even one it. episode where Kirk specifically says to somebody that bigotry is not welcome on the bridge. Keep it in your quarters. Like he says it out loud. Bigotry is not welcome here. And the bigots yeah. miss it because they don't want to hear it. Yeah. yeah. No. And of course, uh, shades of Homer's phobia, that bigot becomes unbigoted Mr. Spock. All I, all I had to do was save your life. I guess all I had to do was drag your body out of a room filling with poison gas. And now suddenly you're not a bigot anymore. Maybe yeah. I shouldn't have had to do that. <laughs> yeah, maybe. maybe every Vulcan shouldn't have to drag your body out of a exploding phaser room uh, for you to take us seriously as human beings. But yeah, I, you know, I, I, w I wonder sometimes since you've written this book, I've thought about, uh, I bet there's a book about that out there that does for Judaism and Star Trek, what you've done for trans and matrix movies. And if not, maybe I should write it. Cause I, it is that thing where I don't think Roddenberry sat down and created Spock as an analog to a Jew serving among a largely Christian society. But oh boy, is that how it developed with its Jewish leading man and, you know, uh, a few writers who were sensitive yeah. to it. My favorite social justice thing on Star Trek, I didn't catch this when I was a kid. And it's amazing to me. And I would love to steal it and put it in a movie. In an episode written by my old dear departed friend, Robert Block, Captain Kirk is captured by a guy who makes robots, who is making a robot replica of him. And while he is being duplicated, he says something racist about Spock. So that when the robot is sent back to the ship and says the word half-breed to Mr. Spock's face, Spock's going to go, well, that's not Jim Kirk. <laughs> you know, like, and the, the guy we're up against this week is a robot guy. So I'm going to go out on a limb here and say the Jim Kirk, they just called me a half. I've, I'm tired of your half breed inf interference, Mr. Spock. That dude is not my captain. Who's my buddy and would never say a race, some racist mm -hmm. shit like that to my face. So I just love that that's in, in captain Kirk's character is if I think racist shit while I'm being duplicated, I will con this idiot robot into spouting yeah. it in front of my crew and they will know that's not me. And yeah, I love it, that as a, as a story idea. Well, and, and there's something meaningful there too, where it's like, you know, no, nobody, nobody is born thinking any of this stuff. It's all learned. I mean, yeah, the, 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 that's the thing. And, and, and I mean, I've talked about it on the show before where like, I, I very much believe that I didn't, there was this whole half of life that I didn't understand until I became a father, you know, and, and, and I'm, I'm raising this, this, you know, young girl now she's about to be seven. And she wasn't born with any 
bigotry, with any prejudice, with with, with any of this stuff, you know. Um, and, and and I just I just look back on my my upbringing, you know. I mean, I grew up in in a housing project in Detroit, and you know, you were black or in in or, or you were white, and you stayed on your side of this this imaginary line in the sand, and and it was you know it was there was so much tribalism and. And, yeah. and and there was so much negativity that that was perpetrated, and and I had to I had to work very hard to unmake that upbringing, right? Yep. Um, uh, I I again, and and I can see it with my daughter. She wasn't born with any of that stuff, right? And 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 I can look back and see how it was all taught to me. It was all forced upon me. It was all 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 sort of like carved into me, right? Yep. And and it, and it was carved in deep. Uh, in certain ways, uh, and 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 I, I I really had to work to unmake all of that stuff, and um, I mean I think it's a gift that my wife and I have given to my daughter, but but it's it's a gift to the world also where where she she's not she's not she has none of that, and yeah. so she's going to grow into the world with none of that idiotic programming loaded onto her. But then also, you know, I mean the gift we gave to her is just okay. Who are you? Who do you want to be? Tell us who you are, and 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 you can be that person. Oh, really? You like this? Let's let's do everything we can to embrace that, right? Yeah. Uh, to encourage that. To um, and 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 she's happy, and uh, you know, and and uh, and and that's literally all I want out of exactly, life right, right now is is for her to be who she who she is and who she wants to be, and um, and it's interesting. It's it's amazing, kind of. You know, I, you talk about the utopia of Star Trek, and I, I, I feel like uh, I don't know a few more of those people in the world, and and we take a step or two or ten or a thousand closer, right? Yeah, I mean, we've done the same thing with with our kid. You know, like uh, yeah. Susan and I are both very creative. We're writers. Uh, we we create a lot of things, and our kid has no interest in that. He's much more science focused. He's into math and engineering, and we're like, cool. If that makes you happy, do it. We don't want you to be like yeah. us. We want you to be who you are. And, you know, we've done the same thing, uh, even though uh, some of his family members are maybe not happy that we let him be who he wants to be and not who they want him to be. But um, like even before I knew I was trans, we always raised him to know that there was nothing wrong with trans people or gay people. It's just how some people are like red haired or left handed. It's no big deal. It's we're all just human beings. Right. And then living here in California, uh, they discuss trans people in health class. So he had this knowledge going in. And I remember the night I came out to him, uh, I was really nervous because, you know, we raised him to be accepting, but you never know how it's going to go. And I was at the stove making dinner with him. And I said, so you know how, how we've talked before about trans people and you learned about them in school? And he's like, yeah. And I'm like, well, I'm one of them and I'm going to start transitioning and, you know, I'm going to uh, start taking medication that will change my body a bit. I might grow boobs and I'm going to dress a little different, but I'm still going to be, you know, your parent. And his whole response was, okay. And that was it. Like that was the end of it. It was the most beautiful thing. Cause he just, it, he's like, well, you're still, you're still my parent. And that's all that matters. I don't care. You be who you are and it's fine. It, it didn't affect him at all. And it was the most, it gave me so much hope for the future. You know, the kids, uh, yeah. Because because our default setting is love and acceptance and exactly. and, and it literally you have to be taught, uh, you have to, be taught uh, to, to, to to not follow those things. I mean, it, it is a similar story yeah. with with my daughter where she came home two years ago and she said, "Hey, uh, 
I've decided that I'm going to marry Rose, you know, uh, uh, um, you know, th this girl in her class and, and yeah. our response was, that's, that's awesome. When is the wedding? Uh, and, and, and they, and they spent a year planning their wedding and, and, you know, it, and it changes from time to time, but, but right now she's still going to marry this, uh, this same girl. And, um, and, and here's the thing is, I don't know, I don't know if she knows who she is, uh, uh, right now or, or what right. kind of person she's going to marry. Um, but the, but, but just again, the idea that, that she brought that up and, and it was it was perfectly normal and, and and okay to her and to us. And there was, there, she was never told anything differently. Um, uh, she doesn't think that life needs to be a certain way, right? She's yeah. figuring it out. Um, and, and, you know, uh, I think that that was incredible. And, and, and who knows, you know, she, uh, um, you know, is, is she, I, I don't even like putting the labels on it. You know what I'm saying? She's just, yeah. she's just her, you know? And, and, and I think that's where we're headed. And I think a, a few more kids like, like our kids and, uh, and, you know, th th that's, it, it is the problem I think is, is that, I mean, we're, we're, we're doing it differently where we have kids and we're, we're sending out incredible people into the world. I think that um, it's, you know, it's almost a cliche, but I think there's some truth to it where, where it is, it is educated, uh, uh, liberal, environmentally conscious, socially conscious people tend to not procreate. You know, it, 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 is, it is people in middle in middle America uh, 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 who 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 are a bit backwards and who are a bit awful when it comes to this stuff that they have six kids, right? And so we are we, we are um, uh, we, you know, so, so I think us not having kids uh, uh, would deprive the world of 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 good people. And so the thing, I'm, I'm the glad thing about the, the I have a general overall theory. I've talked about it before yeah. that I call the weak yeah. hand theory. Yeah. Uh, which is that conservatism is selling something that they know is not very attractive. Yeah. And, you know, the, the Midwestern family with the six kids, as an example, well, one of those kids uh, ends up at Princeton or Bard or Brown yeah. or Howard and does not come home conservative. Yeah. <laughs> because or, or Michigan. Yeah, yeah. yeah, they, yeah. They, yeah. they experience the world and the world teaches them a very, very different thing about what is acceptable i mean the, the the story from my own childhood and i'll tell the shortest version of it because we should wrap up soon the first time uh the publishing world in new york in the 70s was and probably still is extremely gay it was very very you know agents managers public people in publishing editors and my father one of my father's agents was a, a guy named lyle kenyon engel picture lyle with his ascot and his beautiful hair and he brought a boyfriend to a birthday party of mine when I was seven years old or six years old. And just from his manner and his mannerisms, I said to my father after he left, Jay's different than any man I've met, or uh, Lyle is different than any man I've ever met before. What is it about Lyle? And my father, without pause, I remember the conversation said, well, there are men like me uh, who love women and marry women, and those are called heterosexuals. And there are men like Lyle, who love men and are in relationships with men, like the boyfriend that you met, and those men are called homosexuals. And I think like 99.99% of children in this world, my response was, huh, cool. You know, like okay. I had no, exactly. I, I just, I had no feeling about it one way or the other. I was like, well, I don't want that. That 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 does not seem interesting to me. 
uh, boys, ew, gross. But that that was it. That's all I had was boys, ew, gross. But not not to the degree that there was anything wrong with Lyle. It's like, you know, I hate mayonnaise. That doesn't mean I think people who eat mayonnaise should be in camps. <laughs> you know, like I think mayonnaise is icky. Eat all the goddamn mayonnaise you want. I don't, you know, it's as ridiculous as that. Oh, that guy likes mayonnaise. He's a bad person. Eh, not really. He likes yeah. the Yankees. He's a bad person. But that's a that's you always old. get those conservatives. How do I explain this to my children? Well, exactly like that. It's that. Yeah, it's like exactly. a thirty-second conversation. Yeah. Like it's I said, my father did not. My father did not blink and did not need to talk about sex acts because I didn't understand yeah. heterosexual sex acts either. Doesn't, he put it yeah. in the context yeah. of what what <laughs> romantic relationship do I know? I know mom and dad. Okay, yeah. great. So Lyle and Woodrow or whatever the hell his name was, Lyle and Woodrow are in a relationship like me and your mother. Great. Fine. Cool. You know, that's, that's, and I, I just, no one can convince me that most children will not have the same. I don't give a shit about who Lyle is dating yeah. at all kind of reaction. It's just not that, uh, it's just not that central, especially when romantic relationships aren't even a, aren't even a part of your life yet. Um, you know, and it never, it just never, my, I was very lucky given the generation they are. My father was born in 1924 and he would, he could do the thing where he would use something that's, was not a slur in 1968, but is now, uh, you know, but it was, his feeling was one of absolutely, he had an affection for people who weren't like him. Uh, and I think very much when I met some of my relatives from his side of the family, I went, oh, you were uncomfortable around these people for a lot of reasons. Uh, I have a cousin with well, the last cousin from that side of the family I was still in touch with. And in 2016, uh, you know, we're both older men and, you know, his health was not in great shape. So I said, let's, let's go for walks a couple of times a week. Just, you know, keep it moving. It'll give a chance to catch up. And the last time we went for a walk, he brought up that Black Lives Matter was a terrorist movement. And I did my best nice. to say, no, no, George, they're really, they just want policemen to stop killing them. Well, but what about yeah. black and black, black on black crime? I'm like, the police already investigate that. So you don't have to protest those crimes. What we have to protest is people murdering black people under the flag of law. That's actually a thing that needs to be protested. And, you know, I think he never spoke to me. I didn't have to cut him. He never spoke to me again uh, after that conversation. And I think he had enough self, like, I don't even know if he was like, oh, I don't want to be lectured by that asshole again, as much as like, I'm now embarrassed that he knows I'm a racist. Like, I'm not going to rewrite my views. I'm not, but like, on, I think on, he's a, he's not a bad guy in other ways, and I think that just on a certain level, he's like, now that he knows I have this prejudice and feel this way, you know, Italian guy brought up in the Bronx, um, that's that's the world he lives in, and that's yeah. what he believes is true. And it made me go like, right, my father raised me very much away from my aunts and uncles, uh, some of whom, again, were lovely people <clears> and I could meet them. But both of my mother was from a Jewish family and both of them kind of like created a new culture together. We're going to create a whole new world with the things we believe in and the things we stand for. And, uh, 
you know, we had a, we had a housekeeper once a week when I was very little and one night she asked to have the night off and my mother said, sure, fine. Why? And she said, my husband's speaking at a Klan rally over in Jamestown. Oh, and you know, my mother said, oh yeah, no, you can take the night off and the rest of your life, <laughs> take the rest of your life off, never come back. Certainly never speak yeah. to my children again. And I don't remember anything about a nice old pleasant white lady, but there's the part of me that goes, how much it's almost more insulting when they look at you and say, oh, we're all the same. But I'm like, she thought the Jewish lady married to the Catholic guy was on board with the Klan. What a, that's a fascinating misread of cultural, you know, of cultural norms. It's like this, you know, this isn't Mr. S Mr. and Mrs. Smith. This is Mrs. Weinstein Avalone and her husband Avalone. Like, nah, not necessarily down with, down with your white Protestant uh, terrorist group. Uh, but hey, whatever whatever works, man. So I was fortunate to not be raised in that. And I, uh, the bar for white men in America is set so incredibly low that yeah. I so often feel overpraised. Someone will tell me, Oh, it's so great that you're out here marching for this, or you're standing up, you're at this abortion rally. I'm like, this is the minimum. <laughs> I hate to tell you, like, this is the, you know, thank you for giving me the attaboys on the pat on the back, but holy shit, if I wasn't doing this, what, you know, you know, and it's, it's the thing when people are friends refuse to stop being friends with ra racists or like, well, or when they tell you confidently, oh, I have conservative friends, I have Republican friends. And I just like, do you have any friends who you have to look in the face and say, I'm still friends with this person that thinks you belong in a fucking camp? Yeah. I'm still friends with a person that believes you are. Uh, George, during that walk, told me that black people are prone to criminality. Prone to criminality, genetically. And I was just like, I can't, I can't hang out with someone like, no. for the purpose, even for the purpose of arguing with you, I can't, I have friends I would have to look in the face and go like, and think about how I'm friends with you. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, that's one thing I always uh, uh, tell people because like, you know, I've done a lot of interviews about this book and, and I've been asked many times because they're almost all uh, cisgender hosts, right? And they're like, well, what can we do to, to help trans people? How can we be a good ally? What's what's like one easy thing everyone can do? And the thing I always tell them is that you have to not let bigotry slide in your friends and family. You know, like so many people will just be like, oh, that's just racist Uncle Jack. Well, tell racist Uncle Jack he's not welcome anymore. And if enough people do that and they face consequences, that's the only thing that's going to make them even consider changing or giving Absolutely. up on their hate, right? So many people will choose their hate over everything. That's why so many trans people come out and lose their families and, and get kicked out of their homes. And it's awful. And also, there is a de definite cultural value, even if you don't change their minds, to making them shut up in public about it. Yeah. Because the more people, I remember my college president in the early 80s was talking about the how conservative America had become recently. And he said something I have always remembered, and it applied to Reagan, and it certainly applies to Donald Trump. And he said, the thing is, nothing that Reagan believes or says is a thing that Republicans haven't believed since at least 1964. Oh, the yeah. difference is he says it out loud, Yep, yep. which yep. makes other people feel like, oh, I can say this out loud. I mean, yep. can you imagine 
being so divorced from the idea of cause and effect and law, crime and punishment that you think you can break the doors down of the United States Capitol and rush the, the chamber and not be shot by a police officer. Those guys knew that as a crowd of white people, there was no way that the Capitol Police were going to form a skirmish line and gun them down yeah. as they would have any other group of people. Yeah. Uh, if that had been Cesar Chavez and a bunch of uh, United Farm Worker people, that would have been on a, a lot of dead farm workers. But it was a bunch of you know middle class to upper middle class white folks, and we're not going to machine gun them down by the dozens. Uh, they've managed to turn the one they did kill into a martyr. And that's sort of like, I can break the biggest law in the, I can literally attack the government and I, it's yeah. going to be fine because the president told me to do it. Like that's a, that, that's a, once you break that feeling of privilege, you've done a, you're not going to, they're still going to feel that way, but what they're not going to do is race up the steps of the Capitol building again with a stanchion in their hand and beat on a police officer. Because yeah. now they know it's going to be six to 20 years. <laughs> you know, like that's the consequences is the whole thing. I mean, I always say, yeah. uh, sometimes people take it back to Ford pardoning Nixon, but I always go back to Lincoln and Grant and I admire Lincoln and Grant for in various ways for various reasons. But Lincoln's let him down easy, boys. That was a miscalculation. <laughs> uh, you know, I always said, someone's like, well, but, you know, merciful. And he wanted to unite the country. And then they shot him in the head. It's the same answer you can get when people are like, well, MLK believed in nonviolence. And they shot him in the head. And what stopped him? Violence. <laughs> you know, so... Like uh, it's it's always more complex than people make it. But I want to I don't want to end on too dark a note. I think it's great that you shined a, a very bright light on the subtext and the supertext, and the supertext. Uh, of yeah. these movies. I'm always fascinated by how much of this stuff, uh, how much of LGBTQ issues have always been there, and people from just find ways to write about it even when you could not write about it at all we're, yeah. actually, we're watching an old episode of love american style and on paper the script was about two best friends and one of them gets married and the best friend can't handle it and ruins their honeymoon except the marrying guy was played by van johnson famously closeted actor and the best friend who couldn't handle his buddy being married was Paul Lind. And yes, he absolutely wore women's clothing at some point during, I think he wears her, he tries on her nighty in one scene. And we literally, I was watching it with a bunch of writer friends 10 years ago. I think Nick at night was running it. And we literally said, that sat there going, subtext, subtext, Paul Lind comes down in a nighty. Text. There it is. <laughs> yep. And I was like, this is unambiguously about Paul Lind is in love with Van Johnson. Like, there is no other reading possible of this material. And yet this aired on network television in 1972 or whatever. And I was like, oh, what an adorable story about male friendship. Like, you know, I thought somebody actually, I, I don't have, to, I wish I remember the specifics now, but somebody just pointed out, I think it was an episode of Love Boat from 1982 had a trans character, like in the surface story, it wasn't subtext. And mm -hmm. it was about some person dealing with the fact that their friend was a woman 
and they thought that they had been a man and it was just like treated like this is just how some people are and i'm like in 1982 that blows my mind but yeah yeah but that's very, yeah. very loud. Maybe, maybe, maybe so, that's your next book, Campton yeah. Stubing. Right. And, <laughs> and, uh, yeah. But that's it's the other be thing. About the love is big mess one, of, one of the most, and, you know, I don't want to open this can <clears> of worms <throat> as it, uh, as it uh, pertains to the Wachowskis, but one of the worst things that the machine does to you, that the Matrix does to you, is it makes you feel like you can't, even if you want to express yourself, you can't express yourself. Yeah, like whoever wrote that episode of Love Boat, just no one told them not to do it. No one told <laughs> them they wouldn't get away with it, or they thought, well, maybe I'll just you know I'll put this subplot in. If spelling kills it, spelling kills it. Fine, I'll write another. I'll write another C plot for this episode. But then spelling doesn't kill it, and you go, okay, well, I guess we're gonna shoot it. Cool. Who are we gonna get to play it? And then you shoot it, and then you edit it, and then the network sees, and the network's like. Okay, fine. Saturday night, 9 p.m., right before Fantasy Island. This is going to air. And nobody stops you. And most of the changes, honestly, in this world happen because some, you know, Kirk Douglas and Dalton Trumbow, you know, uh, breaking the, you know, that's been overplayed a little bit, but breaking the blacklist against communist writers. Kirk Douglas just goes, well, here's a great screenwriter. I'm going to put him on his, this movie. I'm Kirk Douglas. I'm the biggest fucking movie star in the world. Stanley Kubrick's directing this thing. It's written by Dalton Trumbo. Anybody can stop me? Here's a drive-on. for Dalton's going to drive on the Paramount lot and meet with me about it. Anyone going to tackle him at the gate? Like he wasn't yeah. supposed to be let in, but the gate guard isn't going to have that fight. Gate guard I mean, doesn't give a, the gate guard's great... not Joe McCarthy. He doesn't give a shit. <laughs> That's a great story, though, because it, it illustrates perfectly how what we actually need is yeah. cis white men with power to help, because otherwise this is never going to get any better, right? Because I've like talked to so many trans people who've had who've pitched shows and been told, well, we'll give this a green light if you change your trans main character to a cis main character, or you take all the transness out of it. And we need people that are going to stand up and say, no, you have to, they're going to do this and it's going to be fine, because... Otherwise, nothing's going to change. You know, it's, yeah. it's the people in power have to have to have and, to want to make that change. And the thing is, is we have it. We being cis white men have it pathetically easy to do that shit. I cannot tell you how many meetings I have been in where a woman proposes a story idea and a business idea, whatever, and it is ignored. And I see it be ignored, and I say the same thing. And it gets, oh, that's a great idea. And I say, yeah, Carol uh, said that five minutes ago. I'm just, I'm just repeating it so you can hear it. Uh, you didn't hear, it. it didn't register on you the first time, but I thought it, bore, I thought it bore repeating. Carol, why don't you flesh that out for us a little bit? And that's not, and again, like, that's the minimum. That's not the maximum. The yeah. minimum is noticing that someone is being treated unfairly, and going, this is unfair. And honestly, I feel like that used to be a very all-American principle. There's a, there's a scene in an old Gary Cooper movie, and then I will wrap this up, called The General Died at Dawn, where Gary Cooper is playing a mercenary fighting against the Chinese warlord in the 1930s. And they're watching, first scene in the movie, he's watching the warlord's troops sack a town. And there's a British man with him, or standing next to him, who's like a tourist, and he says, oh, you know, giving the peasants what for they really shouldn't have uprisen you know uprisen against the uh against the warlord 
And Gary Cooper says, you got a cigarette I can borrow? And the guy goes, no, sir, I'm sorry. I, I don't have a cigarette on me. And Cooper punches him in the mouth. <laughs> and he says, you see in the warlord's world, when he asks you for something and you can't give it to him, he just punches you in the mouth. How'd that feel for you, buddy? <laughs> and it's just like, that's the image of the all-American hero abroad in the 1930s. Oh, you think injustice is cool? I'm going to punch you in the face and teach you a little lesson about how <clears throat> injustice feels for the people who are being treated unjustly. You know, you dumb British Empire fuck. You know, and they, I find that it's so goofy and over the top as a character scene. But to me, that's so like the American interventionist spirit that you're an American out in the world and injustice is being performed. Somebody says, oh, injustice is fine. And you go, poop, <laughs> you know, punch the Nazi. There's a little injustice for you. How'd you like it? Always punch Nazis. Always. Always. Yeah, yeah, there's that, but taking it further, I mean, the story of America and the classic American story is just, you have to be this. You have to be this way. You have to fit in this box. Oh, really? Fuck you. I'm I'm going to be me. I'm going to do what I want. That is, you know, that is literally the story of America. That is literally every American story. And and but, and but uh, forty percent of Americans wanted to keep King Richard, and we're still stuck with those people, or King George. Excuse me. No, but yeah. that's the, that's the case. Yeah. I mean, I rewatched 1776 yeah. over over July Fourth, yeah. and I think it's actually it's a far more. Uh, that movie's way harder on the founding fathers than Hamilton is, just for the record. Like it's a darker, it's actually a darker piece and doesn't whitewash anything. But um, one of the points of that movie is we are stuck with these people who are going to try to, you know, who believe in wealth and property being the most important thing, who believe in keeping everything cool with Britain is the right thing. There are the people who don't want us to Go They're going to undermine this thing. There it's the story people, of the Civil War, also. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's yeah. you know, and, when it, it's, it's our a, story now. Yeah, and it's yeah, and but, it's but, but 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 still, all of those people, all of those people will still be, you know, again, go, go to the south and try and take somebody's guns. You know, fuck you. You know, this is me. You know what I'm saying? Like, like, you know, no, no, really, like, 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 you know, this is a country where, 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 you know, we don't. Oh, no, 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 you're not. You know, this is me. This is part of my identity. This is part of my. You know what I'm saying? They will defend that to the death, and and the idea that they can't, they can't see, just what's on the other side of that is, is really troubling to me. Um, yeah. Yeah. yeah, but yeah. But always punch Nazis. That's the always, always punch Nazis. Always punch Nazis yeah. and always teach people lessons about warlords and imperialism uh, by punching them in the face. I guess that's the that's the. Oh, you like colonialism? Let me show you a little colonialism. I got some colon. I got my I got colonialism right here in my right fist. Uh, but anyway, uh, thank you so much, uh, Tilly, for coming on. Where can people find you, and where can they find your book? Oh, goodness. My book is basically everywhere. It's on Barnes & Noble, Amazon, any bookstore. If they don't have it in stock, they can order it for you. Um, and you can find me. Uh, I'm kind of all over the place. I'm everywhere. The easiest way probably is if you go to uh, Tilly'sTransTuesdays.com. That's where I post all of my uh, essays. There's over 100 of them. They're all free that I've written since coming out. And that has links to all of my social feeds and it links to uh, the website that I have with my wife for all of our writing work and all of our credits and samples. And so uh, you can find everything from there. Great. Great. And Ryland, where, where can people find you? 
Uh, I am at Rylan Grant on all forms of social media. I'm not gonna. I'm, I'm not gonna promote uh, my stuff today. I'm gonna say go buy the book. The book is awesome. I, oh, I bless you. I, I, I enjoy the book. Uh, buy it, read it, leave a review on Amazon because I know uh, uh, Tilly Reviews is. These are uh, so important. Yeah, they really um, are. It's silly how important yeah. they are, but yeah. they're it so is. Important. But but that yeah. does not change the facts. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah, and I the thing I'm going to promote today is you know uh, love and acceptance and you know as yeah. uh, as Bill and Ted said, be excellent to each other, right? Um, uh, that's how dudes. we that that's how we win. Uh, yeah. So yeah, go 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 hug somebody today. Yeah, that yeah. that is that is how we win. What did Rose yeah. Tico say? We win by protecting who we love, not destroying who we hate. And that's, uh, we'll, I'm happy to end on that note. You can find me online by uh, Googling my unusual name uh, or going to my website, davidavalonefreelance.com. Thank you so much to Tilly for joining us today and for hosting us on Pendant Audio, which has uh, got a lot, my of, pleasure. a lot of great audio dramas. And you should absolutely check those out on the Pendant Audio website. We got through the show without getting fired. So I, yeah, I, I that's, that's a win. Yeah. All right. So thank you to everyone, and we'll see you on the next exciting episode of The Writer's Block. Thanks, guys. If you're watching us on YouTube, be sure to smash that like button. If you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts or other fine purveyors of ear crack, please leave us a five-star review. And wherever you're watching and or listening, subscribe, subscribe, subscribe. We'll see you back here next week for more madcap hijinks on The Writer's Block. For more information, visit PendantAudio.com. Thanks for listening.